Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. guys and welcome back to ladies who law school podcast i'm Haley, and i'm sam and this week's episode is brought to you by barcast audio whether you're a 1l preparing for your first final season well i guess it'd be your second right or a 3l looking to get ahead on bar prep oh i can't even imagine barcast audio has you guys covered their podcast like audio lessons are the perfect option for all of us busy law students it allows you to review while you're doing pretty much anything barcast audio can be your secret weapon that you need guys so get on there and get it for all of you taking the bar exam this summer right now is the time to take advantage of the mb pack that barcast offers so it comes with the seven mb subjects with essay workshops attack sheets audio lessons and you can get 10 percent off your order at barcastaudio.com with the code lwls that code is lwls at barcastaudio.com a word from our partner barbary law preview you guys this is admissions time i know so many of you have gotten accepted into law school and now you're kind of just in this hiatus period the in between and you're like ladies what do we do to get ahead we have the answer barbary law preview sign up get ready to take it it's like a week so you can plan around it i know if you're doing trips or going to see friends or family before you do start law school you can plan this right into your schedule so get on there and get a hundred dollars off and use our code use the code lwls 100 at lawpreview.barbary.com. That code is LWLS100. Make sure to take advantage of this opportunity, guys. Literally, you'll be learning all of the core subjects way before your peers. I seriously wish I had it. So if you end up taking this course, like please tell us how you like it because the testimonials are great and we would love to see some of our listeners have their own testimonials. So if you try it out, definitely let us know. All right, you guys, please help me welcome our special guest. She got her law degree at St. Thomas University School of Law in Florida. She also got her LLM at University of Florida in tax law. She started out working at Deloitte. Now she works at a big law firm. Please help me welcome Miss Lauren Klein. Well, guys, please help me welcome our guest, Miss Lauren Klein. Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. So my name is Lauren Klein. I'm an attorney in South Florida. I focus mostly on trust and estates and tax with a emphasis in international tax. 
I'm also a life coach and the creator of the Law School Blueprint. Heck yeah, that's awesome. So where did you go to law school? I went to law school at St. Thomas here in Miami. So it's a local private school that I, I attended. And then after that, I went to um, University of Florida for my LLM in taxation. Yeah, I saw um, on your LinkedIn that you did that. So can you just tell us like a little bit about that experience, getting your LLM right after uh, graduating law school and why you decided to do that? Absolutely. So kind of backtracking to law school, I I went to law school not knowing what I wanted to do or if I even wanted to practice law. Um, I graduated from undergrad right in the midst of the financial crisis, and I was a finance major. So I was literally taking these undergraduate classes with the financial world just kind of crumbling around us. I was interning at a wealth management firm, and everyone was like, you need to find something else to do because this is, this is not going to work out for you for a while. So I ended up going to law school. I always thought I, I would, but um, I figured, let me do it now. Let me bide my time while the, the, you know, the market kind of returns back to normal. And I ended up, um, I ended up taking some tax classes, uh, you know, kind of on the whim of a professor. He, he suggested that I take a tax class um, because I had done really well in one of the business classes that he taught. And he said, you know, I think you should really go get your LLM. And as I started to explore the market of trust and estates and tax, I realized it's very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult to get a, um, a job in that field, especially in a big law firm without getting your LLM. So I went up to Gainesville. It was, I think at the time, it was always NYU or, or US, like the two top schools for the LLM. So I went up to Gainesville. I figured, let me stay in Florida. I knew it's where I wanted to practice. I knew there was a really great network of attorneys and law firms that always recruited from the LLM program. So I went up there. It was amazing. Literally living in the tax code every day, day in, day out. You know, we would carry... Back then, you could either carry the tax code or you could do it online. We actually... Most of us had the tax code with us, even though that was only nine years ago. And we studied tax law day in, day out. It was amazing. It was fun being up there. You know, even though I wasn't an undergrad, we kind of still got to live some of the, the Gainesville lifestyle, which was really fun. And it was a really great experience. And it, it definitely impacted my career and where I am today. So how long is that LLM program again? I don't know if you mentioned the one. The one that I did was in person. It was a year. That's generally how long it lasts. You can... You can choose to do it part-time depending on the school, but most most of the people that I know that have an LLM went straight through and did it in person. Very cool. And so you said a lot of law firms recruited out of that LLM program. What was your first job right after your LLM program? And did you intern any in that time period? I did not intern. And most people don't intern when they're doing the LLM. A few did, but it's very, very intensive. It's, it's, similar to law school in a lot of ways, but you're really just focused on, on that one subject. So I did not intern, but halfway through the year, I think it was actually probably late fall, big law firms and also the big four accounting firms came to campus and started interviewing. So I interviewed with a bunch of law firms, all of the big four accounting firms. I ended up getting an offer um, in the fall I think going into the winter of, uh, of the year that I was doing the LLM, I got an offer from Deloitte to work in their tax group. And I kind of figured 
you know, I talked to some professors, I got their advice. They said it would be, you know, a really great um, path to start on. Usually a lot of lawyers don't stay with the big four, but they'll start with the big four. Um, and all the professors suggested it. So I took the, I took the job with Deloitte. It was nice to have a job halfway through because I could kind of sit back and not relax, but at least have that, that pressure off of me for the remainder of the LLM. And I spent about a year at Deloitte. It was a really, really cool experience. It wasn't for me in the long run, um, but it was. I learned a lot about tax law and accounting, and I actually excel, which you know you don't really learn about excel in law school. So that was a huge, huge plus um, in my actual practice of tax law. So just going back to law school, what would you say were your biggest accomplishments and your biggest struggles while you were in law school and going through your LLM program? So starting with the accomplishments, when I was in law school, I I kind of focused on, you know, the main accomplishments that you think about. So I did move court, I clerked with a judge, I worked for law firms, I wrote articles for professors. So when I was there, I, I thought that those were definitely the biggest accomplishments. And I, I think that looking back, they were really good. I'm glad that I did them and they were definitely um, helpful in growing my career. But now that I can kind of look back on my law school journey, I think the two things that were the best for me were the networking that I did with other lawyers and the relationships that I formed. You know, lawyers for sure, um, professors and law students. So definitely the relationships I built and then also the grades, you know, a lot of emphasis, depending on what you want to do and where you want to go in your legal career, your grades can be very important or they may not be. But if you're going to go into a big law firm or if you're going to specialize in a certain area, they're really going to look at your grades overall and then especially within that specific practice. So, for example, when I took my tax classes, I ended up booking, I think, three out of the four that I took. And so law firms saw that and, you know, there's, there's so much more to the interview process, but that was kind of just an easy way for them to say, okay, she probably knows what she's doing. She obviously did well in those classes. So definitely networking and I think grades. And then I had a fun one. I did a, a, a summer in Spain and it sounds funny because a lot of people said, don't do it, go work, go work at a law firm or go work for a judge. But I have had so many people over the years in interviews, and other things ask me, oh, tell me about your summer in Spain. How was that? So I do have to say that adding interesting things to your resume is also really great. It's kind of like the bonus on top, but it does help. It makes me more interesting. Going back okay. to you talking about networking, what would you say were some of the ways that you networked when you were in law school? You know, What would be your advice to us law students trying to make sure we're checking all those boxes while we're in law school. I know when everyone thinks of networking, they kind of automatically picture you're at this event and you have your business cards and you kind of go around and try to pop into conversations. But I do think that events like that are important. We'll have to see, obviously, in the post-COVID world what, what those look like. And I do think that it's great, even if it's uncomfortable, to put yourself out into those situations. One thing that I did to try to combat the the fear or the awkwardness of doing that is I had a networking buddy. So her and I would always kind of pair up. We'd go to these events. We wouldn't stay together throughout the event necessarily, but sometimes we wouldn't. It just kind of made it a little less awkward. But one of the biggest things is when you, if you go to one of those events, actually reach out to the people that you meet at the event. What I would do is if I met someone who I thought would be interesting to get to know, I would actually write 
a little fact about them that they mentioned during the, you know, when we were speaking. And that way, when I would send them an email, hi, you know, so nice to meet you. You know, I loved hearing about your son's baseball team, or I loved hearing about your, you know, um, that you like to go skydiving or that you love to travel, whatever it is, just something to kind of build that connection and kind of stand out because they're going to be meeting so many people as well. So definitely the traditional networking events are great. Also just kind of getting to know your professors, you know, stop by their office. There's been so many times when I've interviewed for a job that the law firm has called my professor and said, Hey, you know, tell us about Lauren. Like what was, what was your experience with her? How, how was she in law school? Was she hardworking? You know, obviously they see the grades, but they kind of want to know a little bit of background too. So definitely networking with the professors, with your classmates, just kind of getting to know people, building relationships, keeping up with it, sending people, you know, set a calendar reminder to email people maybe twice a year, remember their birthdays, just try to form those relationships because they really will serve you well over the years. So your first job out of your LLM program, what was your experience at that job and what does your career look like? up until the point where you are at now? So the first job that I had, as I mentioned, was at Deloitte. So it was a big four accounting firm. So it was a little different from a law law firm experience. I think if you're outside of the tax industry, you're probably not going to go that route. But it was interesting to kind of start out at, you know, a company. I got to work with Fortune 500 companies. I got to know a lot of accountants that I now actually refer work back and forth with today. So it was it was an interesting experience and I learned a lot. I would say that, you know, if you're if you're in the tax industry and you're thinking about doing big four, you can make a career there. And I do know lawyers who have been very successful. It's it's a very different kind of world from a law firm. Um, it takes a lot longer to become a partner. You may not necessarily make as much money, but it is a very cool job in that you get to work with these big companies, you get to travel. We had a whole team in India, so if you stayed with the firm. You got to go to India usually. So it was it was really cool. But for me, it ended up just not being the right fit. I, I realized pretty quickly that while working with these big companies was interesting, I liked more personal experience. So I wanted to deal more with individuals. And even if they had these big companies, I wanted to know the family. I wanted to know the patriarch, the matriarch, the children. I wanted to grow with the families. So I ended up tr- uh, transitioning after a year to a boutique tax law firm, um, which was a very, very different experience. I was the only tax associate at the firm. So I got thrown into things very, very quickly. I think the first day I had a stack, you know, it was a huge stack of cases that I was going to be working on, but it was the best experience that I, I could have had. I I always say that the three years that I was there, three, three or so years that I was there, I really packed in like six or seven years of experience because I worked like crazy. I worked on all these different matters. I got to go, you know, argue cases before the IRS. It was really, really cool. I got to do such a broad array of of cases and matters that it was was very interesting. And that's kind of the cool thing about a boutique firm. Usually you get to work on more types of matters, even if it's within, you know, specialized practice. Like for me, it was tax law and trust and state. Um, you know, I got to work on so many different things. So when I ended up interviewing for the big law firms, even though I then specialized a little bit, they appreciated that I had seen so many different things. I had kind of narrowed my focus at the boutique law firm. 
And that was a big selling point for me joining the big law firm. So after a few years, I, I went from the boutique firm to big law, which in some ways was very, very different. And in some ways it wasn't. So I ended up joining a, a practice, the private wealth services practice at Holland and Knight. And it's interesting because we're almost like a little boutique firm within a big firm. We work on larger matters, but it's a lot of the same work. So it's pretty cool that, you know, everything that I did, the boutique firm really carried over to the big law firm. Could you just describe what like a day in your life as a tax lawyer and now at your firm in like in the boutique sense, like what does that look like? Just because I'm not super familiar with tax law. So I know I could use probably a quick refresh. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McBadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Absolutely. So when I was at the boutique firm, uh, like I said, I was working on a a lot uh, larger array of matters. So usually I would get in, um, at that point I was in a different city. Now I'm in Miami, which is like a later city. Everyone comes in 10, 11. Uh, I was in Boca Raton. So I was in the office fairly early, usually sometimes 7.30 a.m., 8 o'clock. I would try to beat the partners in. That was that's a, a tip I like to tell everybody. Try to beat the partners in when you're when you're really junior. When you get more senior, it doesn't matter as much. But I would try to beat the partners in. I would kind of check my email, try to figure out what was going on. I, we rarely did any sort of litigation. We, you know, if anything, we were arguing before the IRS, and so we it wasn't really anything that was like a fire drill. So I kind of knew what my day would look like. I would check my emails. I would try to like pinpoint my top three or four things that I wanted to work on for for that day. So in any given day, you know, I could be drafting estate planning documents. I could be um, uh, dealing with, you know, an international tax situation where a client is receiving a large bill from the IRS and we have to figure out what's going on. Um, there's a lot of tax matters called tax controversies. So um, in the international tax realm, there's all these forms that you have to file depending on whether you're U.S. or not. 
And a lot of people don't know about it, even if they have you know, significant assets. So we would kind of walk them through that process. So I might work on something like that. Um, I might be writing a memo or doing research for a partner. As you get more senior, you'll do less and less of that. But I, I loved it because you could kind of, you know, lock yourself in your office, get your coffee and just kind of zone in on an interesting tax issue. And that was always very interesting. So, you know, any every day could look very different, but you're really dealing with in private wealth, you're dealing with large families that usually have very, very significant assets. They're doing planning for, you know, will, trust, and estates, that type of thing. They're, they're planning, you know, on um, gifting assets or moving assets around to minimize taxes. So it, it was a very wide range of, of things within the tax industry. But when you do um, trust and estates law, you can really do a lot of different things. You can kind of work with more local families, domestic families on their basic estate planning documents. You know, like I said, the will, the trust durable power of attorney, guardianship type of thing. And then when the families get more and more wealthy, you might actually then do the tax planning as well. Um, you might you know, try to, like I said, minimize the state and get taxes. You might advise them on income tax issues. There's federal taxes versus local taxes. You kind of will work on, you know, depending on what their issues are, both of those areas of tax law. And then when I went to the big firm, my day didn't change very much. It was kind of the same thing. You know, now I check my emails to kind of figure out what's going on. Usually now I'm drafting much more complex trust documents. So that takes up a lot of the day. Now that I'm a senior associate, I'll meet with clients um, before in the office now over Zoom. And I think we're just going to keep the Zoom because it's working out really great for everybody. Um, so I'll have meetings with clients, meetings with my, my team that I work with, the partners I work with, the junior associates. I'll delegate what I need to delegate. So it's not entirely different at the big law firm, but usually the matters are just much larger. So whenever you talk about like the tax planning, I feel like that's what interests me the most because we, you know, personally, I get asked questions like, oh, do you know, like just tax questions? And I'm like, I have no idea. So do you find yourself getting questions like that, you know, just from different people that you meet whenever you tell them what you do? And are your clients tell like in Florida or are they all over the United States and the world? So because I focus on international tax, I have clients all over the world. We have a lot of, because we live in South Florida, we're based out of South Florida. Um, our specific group within Miami has a lot of Latin American clients. We have a lot of European clients. Um, the partner that I work with is Canadian. So we have a lot of Canadian clients. And so I get to work with people all over the world. And it's, it's pretty cool. The more, the more global that the world gets, you know, we're just going to have clients in many, many different places. They usually have you know, we always call it the, the Miami condo. They usually have a condo here or a home on Key Biscayne. So they are here part of the year generally, or they have children that live here full time. Um, but we are usually advising them on, on federal tax issues. So they could really live, you know, anywhere in the country. We could, we could advise um, on those issues. And then they'll usually also have more local issues. And then we can really only advise on Florida issues. And if we need um, specific advice on another state or another jurisdiction, then we could reach out to someone within the firm generally and, and get their advice and bring them into the matter as well. But I practice mostly federal tax law, so I can help anyone all over the country and outside of the country as well. So what are the most common issues that you see in your practice? Like what are clients coming to you guys most often for? 
I would say the, the number one thing that we help clients with is we have an international client. Let's just say they're in, they're in Latin America. They have a home here. It's a vacation home. They have some assets here. Um, they have children who want to move here and want to go to school here. So we help them figure out, you know, what do you need to do tax-wise before you come to the United States? It's called pre-immigration planning. So, you know, what assets can we put into a trust before you come here and move it out of your estate for U.S. federal estate taxes? Um, how can we, you know, title your property in the most tax-efficient way? And we try to help them get all their assets together and their estate planning documents together, which usually includes um, a trust that's exempt from U.S. estate tax. So you can actually get the assets out of their estate before they become a U.S. resident or citizen. Um, so pre-immigration planning is one of the top things that we do, and it usually involves a very intricate tax, uh, U.S. estate tax exempt trust that is, without getting too into the weeds, we also want it to be income tax efficient. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but that's, that's like the most um, common fact pattern that we have. That usually also includes what we call the basic estate planning documents, the will, the trust, the ancillary documents, you know, so they can have those documents in place in Florida. They might also have estate planning documents in their home country. So then we also will work with their local council to make sure that everything matches up and we don't run afoul of any rules in their home country. So it's, it's a very interesting, robust practice because you're dealing with so many moving pieces. You get to meet people from all over the world, very complex issues. You're usually dealing, you know, in my practice with millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. So it can be a little high stress at times because you know, you're, you're dealing with such large sums of money, but it makes it very fun. I've rarely had a day in my practice that I've been bored. So whenever you were talking about the relationships and how that was something that you really wanted whenever you were at Deloitte, do you feel like you get that now? And I mean, just what you described, I feel like you totally get to chat with different people and have that more personal aspect. Uh, do you feel like that's prob- that's what drew you to do what you do now? For sure. And I didn't even realize, you know, how in-depth you get with these families, but especially since our, a, lot of, a lot of our clients are from Latin America, they're very used to forming a very strong relationship with their advisors, their legal advisors, their tax advisors. So the partner that I primarily work with has had these clients in his book of business for, you know, 25 plus years. Uh, we'll go to dinners with them. We'll get to know you know, not only the matriarch or the patriarch, but their children and then the grandchildren. And, it, it, you know, I work with clients from all different age groups within the family, but I also tend to, because I'm a woman and I'm, you know, in my 30s, I tend to connect very well with some of the younger generation who is usually very wealthy in their own right, either from inheritance or, you know, they, in their, they, they have their own businesses. They're also entrepreneurs. They also have these these big companies. So it's very nice. I get to connect with them on that level. And usually partners will have me work directly, not, you know, not only with the younger generation, but specifically just to try to get them comfortable, you know, kind of talk the same language, make sure that they understand what's going on. So that's been a pretty cool thing. I've, I've been working a lot lately with, you know, doing prenuptial agreements and that sort of thing, because now, you know, the generation that's closer to my age is getting married. They're having their own children. So I've definitely, to answer your question, it, it, yes, I've definitely gotten that experience with the families. And 
you could really keep them in your book of business for years and form very strong relationships with them. It's very, very cool. You get to know different businesses that they have. Because while we're dealing with families, they usually have these very large companies that they're running or very large real estate holdings. So you get to know all of what they're doing and see what types of businesses they're creating, get to see their family dynamics. It's really, really cool. Compared to when you worked at the boutique firm, how many clients do you usually have at a time? Oh my goodness. I mean, so, so many because it's in trust and estates and tax, most of the time, it's it's not quite like a, like a litigation practice where you work on it or a corporate practice where you work on a matter and then it's finalized and then you kind of don't really hear from them again unless something else happens. With trust and estates and tax, it's it's always changing. The tax laws are always evolving. Someone's always getting married. Someone's always having a baby. So you could be working on, I mean, the number of clients I probably have touched over the years is well into the hundreds. You're not necessarily working with all of them at the same time, but um, let's see if I had to, if I had to really guess, I probably work on about 15 matters like in depth at any given time. And so, you know, I may, I'm not going to work on all of those matters within the same day, usually. <laughs> you know, some days get a little crazy when everyone wants something at the same time. Um, but you're usually working on a lot of different matters at the same time, as opposed to in a corporate practice, you may work on one matter for the whole week. You know, whereas if you look at my billable hours for any given day, I could have met or worked on five different matters plus. This is really exciting and interesting. I feel like... I kind of want to like look at into tax law and estate planning, you know, there's so I, I really enjoy relationships too. So that's why I wanted to ask you that question, but could you tell us a little bit about law school blueprint? Absolutely. So when I was in law school, I, a, I was the first person in my family to go to law school. So I had no idea what was going on. I went in, I don't want to say totally blind. I read a few books about, you know, um, what law school would look like and how to try to navigate the waters of law school. But when I started, I, I felt so lost. I felt like I was a total imposter. Like I did not belong there. So many of my classmates had mothers, fathers who were lawyers. They, they kind of knew the ropes or they at least pretended like they knew the ropes. Um, you know, I, so I struggled with imposter syndrome. I struggled with confidence issues and, you know, kind of voicing myself during class or reaching out to professors. I dealt a lot with stress and anxiety, as I think most law students do. And that kind of carried over into my practice as well. For the first few years, I, I really felt like, you know, I, I would wake up every morning and I would rush out the door and I never took any time to kind of look inward and figure out what was going on. And I really do believe that if I would have stopped and kind of worked on myself when I was in law school and when I was a new attorney, I would have really, really progressed so much faster and felt so much happier. So when I started um, my new firm a few years ago, it's a big law firm, I started really focusing on my mindset, um, my self-development, my confidence, all of those things. And uh, about a year ago, I was talking to, I had a therapist, I was talking to a therapist and I was kind of explaining you know, I was like, wow, my career has taken off so much more. I'm one of the top billing associates in the whole firm for private wealth. You know, I feel so happy most of the time. Like, obviously, life is 50-50. But I, so I realized, you know, if I had these tools in law school, I would have 
succeeded. I would have been so much more successful and happy and confident. So I ended up creating this program. Um, It's a life coaching program for law students. It's going to be released for a limited amount of law students this spring. I think I'm going to have about 10 people join. And it's going to be a three-month program where we focus on mindset and the practical sides of law school. So overcoming imposter syndrome, dealing with your money mindset, student loans, you know, how you're spending your money, how you think about your money, overcoming or dealing with stress and anxiety, how to set up a morning routine, um, you know, so, so many things. And we're going to have live sessions for the first round um, and one-on-one sessions with me as well. We'll have group sessions. And then also, if you join the program, you'll get one-on-one sessions with me. But essentially, it's a life coaching program for law students to work on their mindset so they can excel, be successful, and be happy in law school. I think that's amazing. Um, I mean, we get messages from law students and pre-law students every single day that they're already freaking out about imposter syndrome. And, you know, they it's their first semester and they're feeling these feelings they've never felt before. And sometimes they don't have anyone to look up to as a mentor, you know, and I think that your program, you could definitely be like that mentor for some people, especially during COVID. Um, they're not like a lot of people can't go hang out with their peers and stuff. Like they're all by themselves. Um, so I think that would be really great. And I hope that anyone listening goes and checks that out. So. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we preach all that stuff and you're so right. Like if we could have just known this before or had, a blueprint to kind of walk us through this whole situation. Uh, it would have been probably a much more beautiful experience. I know I, I'm currently struggling through anxiety and depression right now, just with everything. And it is all about your mindset. I love that you talk about how important it is to think and talk and have the conversation at the beginning of your career in law school because it transfers over into practice. And we, we say that all the time, but you're living proof of that. And makes me solidify the fact that something like this is so important. And, you know, maybe one day all law students will be able to take a program like this. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because, you know, I think about how do we change the mental health stigma in law school? How do we get that conversation started? It's like, it's through things like this. So props to you, Lauren. I'm really excited. I wish I could sign up. Thank you. And and props to you both that you are doing this. I mean, A, I just have to say that you fit this into your schedule while you are law students is such a huge accomplishment because I I rarely felt like I could even like squeeze in lunch. And I know a lot of that was my own mindset at that time. So props back at you both for, for having this platform and talking about these issues. I think it's so cool because I feel like back, back when I was in law school, even though it was really I mean, it's only, I started 11 years ago. We weren't really talking about these things as much. You know, it wasn't really on the radar. I think there was like, you know, a a campus therapist that you could maybe reach out to if you really felt like you were, you know, about to go over the edge. But that's not the point that you should start to seek, you know, help and mentorship and therapy and coaching. Like you should seek all those things in the beginning so you can really get your mindset right. I mean, there's, there's no substitute for hard work and, you know, kind of um, diving into law school and your legal practice. But I think that if you work smarter and not harder and make sure that your brain is running as efficiently as possible, then that hard work will be so much easier. And I, I realized that because when I started reading all these self-development books, I, I didn't realize it would translate so much into my legal practice. You know, I, I really didn't know that that would happen, but it, 
it allowed me to, um, you know, volunteer for things that I never would have. I ended up, you know, speaking at this large international tax conference. I was the only female on the stage for thousands of people. I would have never had the guts to do that if I hadn't worked on myself first. I would have never survived big law if I didn't have those tools. And, you know, it felt like law students reach out to me, we would have coffee. So I'd be able to help like maybe one or two people a month with my schedule. And I realized, you know, this needs, just like you guys are doing where you have the voice that you can share with so many people. I think it's important, you know, with, with the platforms that we have today and the internet that we can get this message out to as many people as possible. And we can show people that yes, law school is hard. Yes, it's not always going to be, you know, rainbows and sunshine, but you can do it in a way that you can have joy, you can make it fun, you can enjoy yourself and you can figure out what you want to do. And one thing that I think is very easy in law school to fall into the trap of, I need to just go to big law. That's, that's what I need to do. That's what everyone else is doing. And one of the other things I'm going to teach in the program is what do you think you really want to do? Let's think about who you want to be in the future in three years and five years and reverse engineer your law school, law school experience so you can become that person. And that might change as you go along. You might, like I found tax law. I thought tax law would be really boring, but it ended up being a very exciting practice. So you, you will learn things along the way. You will meet people who will introduce you to new things. But if you can kind of reverse engineer who you want to be, you can make decisions based on that rather than on what everyone else is doing around you. And I think that's huge. I totally agree. So Lauren, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you after they listen to this episode? Absolutely. So usually Instagram is the best way to find me for anything related to the law school blueprint. It's Lauren underscore Alexis underscore Klein, um, or you can just put Lauren Klein and you'll find me. And if you're interested in my practice, you can always look me up on my firm's website. I'm on the Holland and Knight website. You can reach out to me. My email is on there. I would love to answer any questions about my practice, um, about what I do. I always try to help people. People help me along the way, and I always try to pay it forward. So definitely reach out if you have questions about the practice or the blueprint. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been amazing. And it was so nice to meet you finally. Wow, guys. So who is interested in tax law? Um, I had never really, I mean, honestly, what I heard about tax law was that it's really hard. It's a lot of math, like stuff like that. So I never really was interested. But after listening to her talk about it, it seems like fun. I mean, she literally says it's so much fun. I think what I liked most about her job was the relationship building. And I can totally see myself diving into that. This podcast has helped me learn about so many different types of law, including estate planning, which is something that she talked about. And I think there are opportunities out there that I had no idea about. And the fact that even in our time in law school, law has changed so much with the fact that we're on Zoom and that we now out in practice are on zoom and like do zoom depots and all the things like that. It kind of changes the scale or the scheme of law and what kind of scale you can get to, right? Being a mom and a young lady, like it just opens up the world so much for us. And so it's really exciting to see someone who is able to take advantage of that and is super successful. I think what this episode made me realize is that 
Number one, we're almost three L's, which means we basically have a year left. And there's so many areas of law, like Haley said, that we don't even really know about. And it's almost scary to think that like while we're in school, we may not know like every single type of like law that's out there, right? And be exposed to it. So I think that this episode especially incentivizes us to find more people for you guys because I know that I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, like I hope that I'm not missing out on something because I'm not exposed to it in law school. 100% agree. So as always, you guys, let us know if you have a specific topic in mind, a specific attorney in mind, anything like that. And also just give us feedback on what you think about these episodes with all the different people we have been talking to. I mean, now IP and now tax law. And honestly, like she's so enthusiastic about what she does that it made us think about doing tax law. Like, is that not crazy? So whenever you find people that like what they do, you can vibe off that energy and learn even more about the profession. And that's what we're here to do. So let us know as always, if you have anybody in mind and you can reach us in our email or as always follow us on Instagram and slide in those DMs and let us know. Also make sure to check out Lauren's info. Everything will be in our show notes. So go check out her Instagram. Stay tuned for her mentorship program that she's going to be coming out. It's coming out this spring. So definitely check her out and we will talk to you guys very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.